welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today for a what's going to be a little bit of a different show, but I'm sure it's going to be highly entertaining. We're going to talk about a little bit uh, of the state of the, the retail and consumer marketplace in the bow hunting world and uh, branding and the way that media plays a role in, in all of that. And I've got a really interesting guest to join me for this week's show, and that's Jeremy Flynn from Stone Road Media. Uh, Jeremy, Thank you so much for being with us here on uh, Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Absolutely, Christian. I appreciate you inviting me on. You know, Jeremy, you've got a really interesting background in our world. First and foremost, uh, you're a fellow bowhunter, very, very avid and passionate about the outdoors, and you actually went to school. You you got uh, a bachelor's degree in wildlife management from Penn State University. You ended up going to Mississippi State for a master's degree, and you got uh, a master's degree there in, in the wildlife world. Interestingly enough, at the same school where our whitetail columnist Jason Snavely studied, and, and you guys actually know each other, so small world there. Very well. But... Uh, you obviously had a passion for the outdoors and for wildlife and had set yourself up on a path to pursue a career in, you know, game management, I assume. And then you've had a chance to do all sorts of interesting things. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it, my passion has always been, you know, hunting and fishing. I mean, that's, that's what I grew up doing, you know, besides sports throughout uh, high school and college, you know, that's what basically was driving me in life. And, you know, it was always my goal to figure out how to make that an actual career out of something. And so the, the kind of obvious option was to do something in the wildlife field, which most people coming out of those degrees are going to end up in state or federal positions. Um, but that didn't really suit me. You know, I, I was more hands-on in that I really wanted to work, you know, on a local property essentially, and, and have more of an effect on, not only the the wildlife potential, whether it's deer, turkey, grouse, whatever you might be looking for, but but really on the hunting aspect because that's what I enjoyed so much and and the strategic you know placement of tree stands and trail cameras and everything that comes together for a successful hunt from the ground up. And so you know I went to school for that, thinking that's where I would end up. And and you know life throws you some curveballs, and and now here I am, uh, ten plus years into being in the outdoor industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, you talked about college and what you thought you'd be doing in the future. You actually kind of started to get, you know, your path altered when you were in school. Uh, When you were at Mississippi State, you actually developed a product, and folks who are listening may remember this, uh, called BuckScore, which was basically a, a computer application that could judge uh and a box antler score off of a photograph right yep absolutely and so yeah when that was my master's thesis when i was at mississippi state uh it coincidentally turned into a commercial product leaving there and and you know trial by fire i'm a young 20 something year old kid coming out with a master's degree and and basically put in charge to run the marketing and sales aspect of a of a brand new business in the outdoor industry and so 
Uh, but it was a great experience and it really kind of meshed the two worlds that I loved, which was, you know, wildlife management, being able to collect data on deer and improve a deer herd, you know, whether that's on a larger state level or even a, a local property level, but then also have that same ability to be in the hunting market, right? And and that's what, you know, even today I still love to do. Uh, you know, I am a customer of the people I work with, basically. Yeah, and so then um, how long were you, how long did you, like, run Buck Score and then uh, I know you had an opportunity after that to work with Cabela's for a while, too. Mm-hmm. So we're, ran Buck Score from about 2010 uh, through early 2013. Uh, went to Cabela's Corporate after that, where I had an opportunity to do digital content creation for the power sports division of the corporation. Um, if, if folks might remember for a while there, Cabela's did a a stint in the tractor wildlife food plot seed. Uh, and so what that kind of merged my background and wildlife management. And so was very integral in the Midwest and Northeast stores, uh, doing a lot of content on different properties. Uh, we worked a lot on the Midwest White Hill property with Bill Winky and that at that point, uh, and created a lot of content for the Cabela's consumer to help educate them more on their situation and what products that Cabela's offer, uh, offers that might fit their needs gotcha gotcha and then and then from doing that you ended up hooking up with uh, your partner steve smolensky and you guys founded uh stone road media which is where you're at now kind of a long and winding road yeah so tell people a little (laughs) bit i mean it it is interesting honestly jeremy because yeah i mean you look at my at my life you know i I didn't even hunt I didn't even hunt growing up, you know, and I studied journalism Mm -hmm. and got a journalism Mm -hmm. degree. I started hunting after college. I was working as a newspaper reporter. And if you would have told me, you know, when I was graduating high school that I was going to be the editor of a bow hunting magazine one day, I would have thought you were crazy because that wasn't even a part of my life. So life is awesome and crazy and and you never really know where you're going to end up and what you're going to end up doing. But it's cool uh, because that, you know, wouldn't life be boring if you, if you could see the end right at the beginning? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, I love it being able to keep on my toes and you know, it merges very well with my background, you know, whether it, you look at the, the wildlife side of things and in terms of my background was really data numbers. And, and even today at Stone Road, you know, my position here is basically as one of the owners and, and chief marketing officers, you know, I live and die by the numbers. Um, and so it, it's no different. We, we let that guide what we do here. And, you know, for what Stone Road has really set forth is we, we basically try to blaze a pathway you know, as a marketing agency that truly focuses on hunting, fishing, and shooting. Um, and we don't, we don't deviate from those niches much because the, the people that work for us here all have the same passion as I do. That's what we, we are the consumer at the end of the day, right? We all, we all sit around in October looking at, you know, which mornings people are going to take off because they want to be in a bow stand. And ultimately it's like, listen, half the office can't all take off the first week of November. It's not, it's not going to work out real well. Um, but I think that passion really makes it worth what we're looking forward to here as a company because it, it ties directly into the brands. And I think hopefully at the end of the day, the people we work with can tell that, you know, we care about them as a brand and their products because we're ultimately the consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you guys have been 
uh, I shouldn't say I know, but I suspect that you guys have been fairly successful because from the original you and Steve, you now have 16 employees. And I know I was talking to you a little bit before we started the show. You guys are getting ready to move into a bigger office. Um, so congratulations on, let's see, 29, six Thank years. You. you guys have come a long way yeah. in six years. You know, uh, are you are you able to say... Are you guys able to say some of the clients that you work with in the in the outdoor yeah, industry? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we've always tried to to pride ourselves on being, you know, a dedicated team to to the clients and not just being looked at as an outdoor outsource agency. So, you know, we've had long-standing relationships with brands that, you know, a lot of the listeners would be familiar with, like Muddy Outdoors and Big Game Tree Stands. Obviously, those guys were just acquired by GSM and now we're working with GSM on some of their legacy brands like Walker's Game Ears and, and Coyote Light. Um, we've worked since literally the first year we've had a relationship with the Bone Collector crew and, and work hand-in-hand hand with those guys to produce a lot of the stuff that you see through social media, their website, uh, articles that are coming through their website and syndicated out there. Um, we work with Basecamp Leasing, which is uh, undoubtedly probably one of the largest leasing hunting lease companies uh, out there right now. So we, we work with a lot of the big brands that I will say that, you know, the brand name Stone Road Media probably doesn't ring a bell with most people because they, they ultimately don't see us behind the screen. But, um, you know, obviously we have an integral partnership with a lot of these companies. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have that, you then ultimately can see the success from it, uh, which, you know, you look at a muddy and a, and a big game of what they've grown into in the last three or four years and where they've transitioned to now. Yeah, and the thing is, um, you know, it, it, it's challenging, and this is what we wanted to get into. Um, it's challenging in today's world uh, because the media landscape is so fragmented, you know, and, and Absolutely. Uh, you look at a guy like me and you might say, oh, you know, he, you're, you're almost like a dinosaur. You're at the you're an editor of a print magazine. And of course, we have well, we have a website. We've got a podcast. Uh, we've got you know, you lo lots of other ways to reach our audience. Right. But, you know, in, in the old days, you know, maybe some would say the good old days, uh, your jobs and my job w w was easier because there was only so many ways, um, you know, that, that people. People yeah. who who enjoyed you know hunting, fishing, shooting in the outdoors. They you'd get a couple hunting magazines. Maybe you'd watch uh, an hour of outdoor television on a Saturday morning, y you know, and that was it. And now yep. you you've got you know everything from YouTube to, to social media to uh, you know people who are doing their own streaming content you know you mentioned a Bill Winky who, who obviously is one of our field editors too and, and you know somebody like Bill who does his own Midwest Whitetail and actually Bill just you, I'm sure you saw it, Bill Bill actually just kind of reached a huge deal with Realtree to do yeah. you know a whole streaming kind of like a streaming division of, of Real Realtree Digital I think they're called it. So, yeah. you know, yeah, you've yeah. got you've, you've got online TV. Yeah. So you've got you've got so much now and uh it's, you know, it's overwhelming honestly for the for the manufacturers as as much as it is for consumers, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, kind of like you just were saying, Christian. I mean, if you think about it, like a lot of people probably still, you know, in today's society say, yeah, well, you know, print print is a, a dying piece. But, uh, you know, I completely disagree with that. It, it's a very critical piece, as is TV, 
to any complete marketing strategy. I mean, some of these manufacturers, let's take anything in the bow industry, whether we're talking about bows, arrows, broadheads, the fact is, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Google, they're all cracking down on, on very, very tight policies that are preventing a lot of the manufacturers in the bow hunting community from, from reaching their consumer uh, through paid advertising. And, and because of that, I think that if anything, it's kind of reinstated a little bit more the value of a diversified marketing plan. You know, and, and like you were saying, you've got a podcast, you've got a, a great website with content, you've got the magazine. There, there's a lot of values that, you know, I fear that brands in the industry uh, aren't maybe taking fully into light in, in terms of putting together a complete marketing strategy for their brand to reach the consumer because everybody's got their own preference. I mean, you know, I consider myself still a young guy, but there's nothing better than getting a new print mag in the mail and the fresh smell of print. I, you know, call me old school in that, but I, I love that. I love having that feel there. But that also means, you know, in that same breath, I could be watching Midwest Whitetail on YouTube. I could be looking at something on social. So it, it's part of having a complete strategy that I really think you see some of these brands successfully forging forward. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what is a phenomenon that's been created by digital media and um, really kind of connects what we're talking about with our listeners and uh, the world at large there. You know, if you're in the, you know, the outdoor community, although it exists in any community, right? No matter what you're into, it seems like mm -hmm. within within your niche, you know, whether you're a big bow hunter or you're a big, you know, bicycling enthusiast or a, uh, you know, a, a motocross driver, you know, a soccer coach, you name it, right? Every every niche has their, their people that get big on social media. And like, that's the thing, you know, of course we see it in hunting because that's where we are, but like everybody wants to be the next guy with you know a yeah. hundred a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand followers on social media and people think hey if i can get if i can get a couple hundred thousand followers man yeah. i can i can i can get rich doing this i can make a living doing this is that is that realistic uh, what do you see in the marketplace and what is the real value of of being one of these people where like i have a lot of followers i have a lot of likes what does that mean and uh, at the end of the day yeah you know, and I, I think, first of all, there's a lot of pressure there. I mean, so if you look at some of these, you know, and I, I, I don't put them on a pedestal more than anyone else, but let's look at like the Michael Waddell's, the Mark and Terry Drury's of the world, the Jim Shockey's of the world, you know, Bill Winkies. These guys have a very, very definitive platform. That also comes with a huge responsibility because let's say uh, Bill Winky goes out there and, and lays out a strategy or let's pick a hot, uh, hot topic uh that's right now in our industry, which is CWD, you know, Bill goes out there and lays an opinion down on CWD that carries a lot of weight with his followers. So there's a responsibility that comes with that, uh, that right now, to be honest, kind of scares me in some of the places of the industry. And it's not necessarily with those kind of guys, as much as it is maybe some of the regional and local influencers that have a good following and, and are a solid role model for the average hunters in that area but are very opinionated and maybe those opinions are often, you know, subjective versus actual facts that they have. Um, and we're, I think we're seeing that and everybody's entitled to their, their own opinion, obviously, but ultimately where I think there becomes a, a, a fog and it's even in mainstream is that 
you know, somebody says, Hey, I just did a review on this bow or this arrow and you know, it's the greatest thing out there very well could be, but also they're probably being paid to do that. So I think where the, the common bow hunting consumer is having trouble and, and you and I talked about this a little bit before the call is that they're really looking to their peers, maybe even more so than these influencers in today's society for legitimate feedback and reviews on the products that they're interested in or the brands they're interested in. Yeah, that was something, you know, I had mentioned where one of the, you know, one of the cool things about social media, um, you know, and and on for an advantage, quite frankly, an advantage that it has, right? That I can't do at the magazine because my magazine, as you said, it's a physical product, right? That comes right. in in your mailbox, you know. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can get on the website, but we don't have a robust, you know, like message chat board feature on our website like you'd find on social media. And because of sure. social media, you can connect with other bow hunters, other consumers, people who are, who have purchased and are interested the same products that, you know, you're interested in and, and actually get their feedback and talk to those people in a far easier way than you ever could. I mean, it would be almost impossible to connect with those kind of people before, unless you literally either knew a buddy who, who had one or, you know, you bumped mm-hmm. into somebody at, at the outdoor show or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. If, if you go into back in the day, you walk into your bow pro shop, right. And you ask them, Hey, here's my situation. You know, I'm looking for a new bow. Uh, you know, I don't want something that's really long axle to axle, you know, and it needs to have a decent let off. And they, they're going to guide you to the bows that they carry, obviously. And it, you know, no blame to them. It's, it's part of the sales process. In today's society, somebody puts that on Facebook and says, Hey, here's my situation. I'm looking, you're going to get, every opinion from peers that possibly come across that post and they're going to vary greatly in terms of the responses. And, and it's kind of a neat thing to me. That's probably the powerful piece that has really driven Amazon to where it is today in terms of sales is one of the first thing you look at if you buy something from Amazon are the peer reviews. You know, what are people saying about this product? Is it good? Is it bad? Did it get there on time? Has anybody had problems one month in? Uh, was there an error that now that they're fixing and, and it seems to be resolved? And so that community aspect has been huge. And I'm not saying it's taken everything completely away from these, you know, hunting celebrities or pro staffers or even influencers in a local area, but it definitely has changed the game for brands and manufacturers to now say it's almost as important, if not more important, for me to get my own brand voice out there as it is to have several uh, strategic partnerships with influencers who are very accurate at representing my brand voice. It used to be a numbers game. Let's be honest. The more people that wore mossy oak or Realtree or whatever it might be, you know, the better. Now I feel like it's more of a strategic position around the brand voice uh, in order to reach those consumers appropriately. Coming back to what you just said, what is the first thing you do? whenever you're going to buy something. I mean, not just not just hunting equipment, but anything. If you're going to be spending, anything. 
you know, more than 50 bucks on something, do you not like Google that product or that category Absolutely. and scan? You know, I just told you before the call, you know, I had just uh, uh, made a big purchase, you know, and I spent a lot of time yep. looking and I wanted to know, you know, where are, the, where are the reviews? And yeah, like you said, I definitely, I mean, I'm in the media, right? I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to take these reviews with a grain of salt because I don't really know this outlet that I'm looking at. I don't know the people behind this. They may have been paid by the manufacturer. They may have been given product by the manufacturer. And so, you know, like you say, it's you, you have to try and also filter it all the time, too. But then you find other places, like you said, the peer reviews, the message boards, uh, the Amazon mm -hmm. reviews, things like that, where you can see what regular people are, are, are saying. And, and people do. They put, I mean, there's been, you probably know the statistics better than I do because you're on the marketing side of things, but people put almost more trust in uh you know like peer reviews from regular users than they do in obviously what the company itself is going to say because let's face it right what company wants to sell product right we all know that so you're gonna not, not that they're lying to you but you're going to realize that they're coming at you from a point of view right and and again even the the influencer whether it's a somebody who has a television show that's sponsored by that company um well i mean i'll even give you a real world example here at the at the magazine you know bill winky who writes articles for me in almost every issue when it comes to deer hunting particularly in the midwest i'd argue that you know there might be people out there who are as good and knowledgeable as bill but i don't think there's anybody better right and and right, if i need right. if i need an article on strategy about how to hunt deer in the midwest or you know ways to deploy your trail cameras strategically or you know scouting tips there's nobody better to go to than bill but i tell you what i don't ask bill to do is i don't ask bill to say hey bill give me an article about what you think the five best new bows for 2019 are and the reason i don't do that is because bill is sponsored by hoyt and it's not a secret to anybody and why would I want right. to first of all it wouldn't be fair to Bill right why would I put him yep. in a position to to have to write about other people's products that aren't his sponsor and and it wouldn't be fair to the readers either you understand what I'm saying yep. so so you Absolutely. have to be you have to be cognizant of what the relationships are and here at Peterson's Bowhunting right I'm in a little bit of a different position because whereas you know somebody like Bill may have sponsorships I have advertisers from the industry that are buying basically paper space right inside the magazine but i don't get a check directly from those people and so right. it's it's a little bit different dynamic and we're trying to obviously cover the whole industry and keep our readers abreast as to what's going on out there uh and give them a good overview of everything and share you know our our honest insights as as much as we're able to you know so and again that's where you talked about print not being dead that's an area where i think brands like peterson's bullhunting you know, still are very viable in the marketplace because we're not, you know, we don't have that direct sponsorship. And I'm not knocking anybody, Jeremy, understand what I'm saying, right. but we don't have that. It's, it's, it's just a little bit different of a dynamic, you know, and it's a place where you, where you can kind of come for, for information that, that you might not get other places. Absolutely. And to me, it's all about touches. Again, we go back to that, you know, marketing strategy and everything, you know, it's, it, it, let's take a, a big per, uh, a big purchase like a bow, right? Obviously there, there are probably some people that are just straight impulse. They see it and they're like, yep, that's what I want. You know, I want expo because I just saw it and it looks good. But 
most people, that's a huge purchase for them, right? And so they're going through and they're making their, their studies and their research on that stuff to be able to go through and, and make an educated purchase. Now, often that takes, and, and we see this, that takes basically multiple touches to actually come to fruition. So whether that's a touch initially through uh, a Peterson's Bowhunting magazine, and then maybe they see an ad from the brand on social media, and then all of a sudden they see an influencer on YouTube using the same product, there's multiple impressions and touches before an actual conversion happens, whether that's online or in a pro shop or in a big box store. So, you know, it's really taking that full spectrum view and that's what people are going to do. I mean, today's consumer undoubtedly does more research per purchase than ever before. So before they buy something, I don't care if it's $10, I still look at the reviews to make sure. Unless it's something I've had in the past and I know like, hey, this is what it is. I ran out. I need more. I'm going to look at reviews on a new product. And so I think that the more touches that a brand can have through different outlets becomes a very, very powerful buying cycle system to end up converting the customer in their favor. Well, yeah, and marketing absolutely matters. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to throw out an example. And one thing that I like to do, Jeremy, when I travel around the country to different areas for hunts and other events is I usually will try to stop in at a local pro shop. And so I've been in pro shops in, you know, basically from here all the way out to, you know, the West and everywhere in between. And I'll, mm-hmm. I always like to ask the dealers about what lines you carry, you know, which different bow brands are they yep. offering and why. Okay. And I'll tell you the most common answer that I get. And, uh, you know, I'll just say it, it's, it's anyone who deals in Matthews bows. And I have no yep. idea if Matthews is a, is a client of yours. Um, I'm just gonna. I'll ask you. Are, that, I'll be okay. honest. I'm, I'm literally looking at a a triax sitting on my couch right now. Okay. In my I, so, so you've done some work so. with them, but I don't know if like you know it's it's a regular thing. But I'm just gonna tell you the answer I get more often than not from dealers is you know I ask them all. I'm like, what is of all the lines that you carry, what's your favorite one and why? Mm-hmm. And. And the answer is usually Matthews. And when I ask them why, okay, you might think, oh, it's because they have the best product or they have the best customer service or because I make the most margin when I sell a Matthews bow versus another brand. No, this is the reason why the dealers tell me they like to carry Matthews. Because when a customer walks through my door, he points at that Matthews bow and he says, that's the one I want. Set it up. <laughs> yep. Yep. No. And they, that's because they've done the sales pitch already. They've, they've had the sales. Matthews is a perfect example of just high quality sales support, right? And it's the same thing as marketing, but the way they do it, they tee their pro shops and their dealers up so well that that's what you get. Somebody, got, somebody walks in and says, oh, there's the new tracks. That's the one I want. Yeah, so that's, so that's so how it is. and the dealer right. So the dealer loves the fact that they don't have to spend an hour convincing the guy to buy a new bow. He already walked in there to buy a new bow. He knows. And and really, he you knows. know, at the end of the day, this you know, I'm sure the dealers have just like everyone else, right? They're people too. They have an opinion. They might carry 
three other brands in there and they might actually think a couple of those other bows are even better but they're not going to spend time trying to talk that guy into buying some other bow if, if no. the guy the guy's the guy basically made his mind up. he's saying shut up and take my money <laughs> you know that's what i mean exactly it and that's the hard that's the that's the way that i think today i mean look at this compared to 10 years ago i mean 10 years ago, you went in, you shot multiple bows, you maybe weren't married to one. Now, by the time that person walks into a pro shop, they've had so many touches from that brand, from a Matthews, so many different experiences that they feel like they've almost shot the bow already. They know what they want. They've seen enough from the brand. And, and when brands do that, whether it's a Matthews, whether it's a, a tree scene company, like we do that all the time with Muddy and their box lines. We want you to feel like you've already been in a box line before you, you say, hey, I'm interested in buying one. And, and if you can do that, you're miles and miles above the rest of the competitors out there. They could have a better product than you. It's very possible. But you've positioned yourself so well that it's almost hard for the customer to think that there could be something better than that out there. Exactly. And that's where, you know, another example that I use all the time and uh, again, not that it's not a, a great product like Matthews. Matthews is a great product, but I yeah. can tell you, I can tell you as the editor of Peterson's Bow Hunting that there are there are many great bows on the market at any given time. But Matthews obviously, Matthews obviously has done a better job uh, than some of its competitors anyway it, on the marketing side. Similarly, let's take let's jump out of the you know endemic archery category but still very much a part of our world to the camo side of things you talked earlier you know we mentioned mossy oak and realtree already look at a company that by you know is a relative johnny come lately in the grand scheme of things right and that's sitka gear how has sitka gear and again i have no idea if you've ever worked with them i'm just saying this is a company that i see as somebody in the outdoor media and as a, a hunter myself this is a company that has created you know, yes, they have a very good product. Yes, their clothing is extremely well-designed, extremely well-made, extremely functional. But again, there's other hunting apparel on the market that is also well-designed, well-made, and functional. And yet, Sitka has been extremely successful through its marketing, through the efforts that it has made to connect with the consumer and not just, not just educating people that they have a quality product, but that the people who use the product are like the people that you want to be. Like there's a yeah. there's there's a membership that kind of comes along with it. There's a sense of identity that goes above and beyond the simple article of clothing, and it has elevated the value, I think, in the minds of the consumer. Where you know, let's face it, everybody who's listening knows Sitka gear ain't cheap. Well, how are they getting yeah. you to open your wallet and pay? that amount of money it's because people feel that not only are they getting quality but they're getting something else too aren't they yeah they feel they can definitely feel that and i mean much like a matthews i think Sitka has done a great job not only just the general marketing side but in the content that they put out to the consumer when you see a piece of content whether it's from Sitka or matthews and oftentimes they go hand in hand uh you you feel you feel that you can put yourself in that position in that hunt you feel that they made that piece to really emotionally tie into you. And that's a whole different level of marketing that we've seen. I mean, you mentioned the Mossiuk and Realtree, who obviously are still very dominant forces in there, but, but for the longest time, that was an impenetrable wall. 
when Sitka basically took a step through that wall and knocked down and said, listen, you don't have to wear, you know, mossy oak or real tree in order to, to kill whitetails. You can, you can wear Sitka, you know, that, that works just as good. And then all of a sudden you see a Kuyu in there and you see a veil in there. And now, you know, there's a lot of different patterns on the market that people can wear to that, to be honest, I think are interchangeable. Nobody feels the, the dedication to two sole giant brands anymore there's options out there but i think it took that next level of of creative content and creative thinking to be able to say how do we emotionally touch and engage with a consumer because that's the hardest part now i mean you and i are sitting here in early march in pennsylvania right we've got turkey season still is what six weeks away uh we just finished deer season so we're kind of at the just we're in a lull point at this point but yet i think they could put something out on whitetail hunting right now and they would have me they'd draw me in and it's because they create this feeling in this this uh basically aura around their content that makes you feel connected to it and makes you say yeah that that's got to be worth the money to be honest i think that somehow some of these brands whether it's a matthew sitka a yeti they think that with you having that product, you will be more successful in whatever you're using it for. And that's the key. So so what's the secret sauce? I mean, that's where you come in, right? I mean, you have companies, whether they're existing clients or they're mm-hmm. prospects, you know, a manufacturer that maybe calls you up and they say, Jeremy, uh, you know, I've got a I've got a new widget here, right? This is this is my new hunting yep. widget, you know, and this is this yep. is this awesome bow hunting widget that I've created. And let me show you what it does and and why it's going to help you to be a more successful bow hunter. But that's all well and good, but I need the secret sauce. How do I make my widget into the next Sitka gear, the next Matthews, the next Yeti? You know, how do you do that? Yeah. And so to me, the first place it starts, and it's no different than even, even your magazine, it's content, right? Without content, the wheels don't turn, whether that's social media, whether it's your website, whether it's a magazine, doesn't matter. Without good content, those wheels don't turn. And where a lot of companies fall short is they'll produce good content. I mean, you and I can cruise YouTube right now for, for different bow hunting products or brands and see some really, really good content. You look at the views, there's nothing there several, several hundred, maybe low thousands. It's, it's not getting seen by the consumer. And so it's a two piece, basically, you know, strategy that you have to incorporate right away, whether you're an existing brand or a brand new company is that I need to produce content. It's got to be good. It's got to be attractive. It has to show the consumer what my product and brand stands for. And then number two is you got to get it seen. If you just make a great video, if, if Yeti came out with a spectacular short film, but nobody saw it, nobody would want that cooler. It'd be the same thing with a Matthews bow. If, if Matthews put together a ton of short form content, which let's say they do, but it gets seen and that's what makes it successful. That's why the guy walks into the pro shop and says, you know, I want that bow on the wall. It's because people are also seeing the content they're producing. And I think that's a big struggle in the industry. And it's, it's not necessarily because of the brand, it's because of the platforms that we have to operate on in the marketing community that let's be honest don't necessarily support our lifestyle yeah so you talked earlier you know we talked about the idea of using influencers and some of the potential pitfalls of that you know if you're let's say you're a matthews or a sitka or a hoyt or, or whatever one of these brands that's iconic 
in the marketplace and you want to reach people well like you said if, if there's rules in place where you know Facebook's saying hey we're not we're not gonna let you put an advertisement for broadheads uh, out on our, our our platform I mean are you kidding me you're, you're selling razor blades to slice up animals no we don't believe in that and so exactly. you know so what do you do you know if you're let's just pull another name you know if you're rage and, and you want to yep. get out there uh, and you're trying to make an ad and they won't take your money basically uh, okay now what do mm-hmm. you do um, so, so you can use yeah and that's, yeah. that's a huge problem right now in our community, whether, you know, most people think about it on the firearms and tactical side, but let's be honest on the bow side, we've had several things that we've worked with in the past that, you know, are simple as showing an arrow like by itself, an arrow by itself. And yet it'll get flagged. Oh, it's so scary. It's an arrow. Run. That's how it happens. That's, that's what their mindset is. And, you know, let alone you show a broadhead in it with a cutting edge. So, you know, what people have to really rely on at that point is influencers are a great opportunity there, right? There's a syndication, there's a, there's a platform for them to reach people, but also your brand voice from your website is huge and probably very underestimated. So given an example, somebody puts an ad in Peterson's bow hunting, the call to action is usually to go to the website. What happens though is oftentimes those websites are very lacking depth of content about the products and the brands. And if that's the case, you just use the platform to send people to something, they're not going to get what they're looking for. And so what we try to do is really lay depth to those websites, really add content. It doesn't, it's not all product reviews and stuff. It's very much what you would see a Bill Winkie write for Peterson's bow hunting. It's tips and strategies. It's in use stuff. It's things that the consumer of that product or brand can relate to. It doesn't have to always focus around the product as long as they can relate to it and it makes sense to tie that brand in, it's a valuable piece of content to drive that person to their website. Now, just just to clarify now, you meant to say it was it was almost as good as what you find in Peterson's bow hunting. Well, almost as good. I, <laughs> I, I gave credit for Bill put I gave Bill credit for putting together a good article. From there, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so um but but the other thing that 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 folks can do obviously is is you know those influencers can kind of be the go between or the go arounds with those rules because you know you might not be able to pay Facebook to show your broadhead but you could still exactly. maybe pay that other guy to post a video on his page saying hey I really like this broadhead so there you so go that's how, there's, that's there's your work around on that side and, and that's not to say although we are seeing into at least recently a little bit more attention from Facebook especially to organic posts which to be honest is the thing that scares me the most you know I, I get it in that if I have a post and you don't want to syndicate an ad through your platform because it could hit the wrong person and offend them I understand that in the business side. I don't like it because it's not my lifestyle, but I get it. But when I have a page and an audience that I've built and I've spent money and time doing it appropriately, and I make a post to those audience people, and I don't boost it, I don't promote it in any way. I just literally post it to my page, and it comes back as a potential violation of ad policy because somebody reported it or just so happens Facebook tripped on it, essentially that's where it's starting to worry me more and more because at what point 
you know, did, did so many businesses invest who knows how much money into creating these audiences on social media that literally overnight a switch could be flipped and, and we can't post anything. We can't post. I mean, how many pictures right now? I know Christian, if you're on Facebook and not, if you see it, it'll be somebody with a, a hero shot of a deer they harvested and it's got a blur out and a sensitive content warning on it. It's crazy. It's, oh yeah. It's, I mean, he just got a deer and he's posing with it. You see it on Instagram all the time. Um, all the time. But uh, and then of course you want to click, you want to tap on it to see because you're like I gotta see, yeah, yeah. I gotta see how offensive yeah. this is. And of course, like you say, it's yeah. it's like never offensive. It's a hero you know? shot. Yeah, uh, if you just posing there with the deer. So yeah, it's um, getting worse and worse. And so again, now, I feel now, like just, that's that, where that round strategy needs to be in place. Yeah, I just saw a post like a day or two ago from Tom Miranda. Um, I don't know if you follow Tom on Facebook. He does yep, like a, do. he's got like a trapper page. He like, he's got a page like it's like for trappers and stuff. And he yep. he has them, yep. you know, post pictures of their sets and like when they're going to check their traps and they've got like coyotes and bobcats and things yep. like that. And he was just saying the other day in one of his posts, he's like, I delete, I delete a lot of people and block a lot of people off of this page. Because for that exact reason, because, you know, if he's not really strict about who he lets on there, you get a couple of those antis in there and they start reporting the stuff. And then, like, he's going to get it. shut down. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so, yeah it's not, <clears throat> you know, we have the First Amendment in America and you have the right to say whatever you want. But guess what? That doesn't mean Facebook has to give you the right to do it on their platform. And that is, there you go. that's something that I talk about all the time. You know, I, it's funny. My wife is in direct sales and she sells jewelry. But I talk to her about the same things because she uses Facebook a lot to conduct business, to reach customers, to find new customers, to promote new products. And I, I always warn her, I'm like, you know, just be careful about investing too much time creating content for a platform that you don't own and can't control because they change the rules all the time like you said it's not just for hunting they change the rules for all these direct sales reps you know it doesn't matter if you're selling jewelry personal care products essential oils you know there's a lot of people out in the uh, america today that have you know side hustles doing that sort of thing and they're in the same boat because every few yep. months you know facebook decides you can't do this anymore whatever this is and you've got to completely do a 180 and come up with with a new way of conducting business just because they decided to change the rules i mean it's actually it's really dangerous <laughs> it really absolutely. is absolutely yeah and i mean i feel like you know out of this community but especially in it as well there's a lot of businesses that when facebook changed these policies whether it was some of their changes of how many people you reach with an organic post or now these more strict ad policies that are put in place it's not that they're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm losing a sales avenue or marketing avenue. Their businesses have taken huge hits because that is what they built them on. They, you know, how many different companies and t-shirt companies for bows or guns or stuff out there can't even promote a t-shirt because it's got a gun on it now. Yeah, I know. It, like it, we live it, in. It, uh, it, it's like, uh, it reminds me of, you know, going back some years, but it still happens, I'm sure. But before the internet sales got so huge, I know personally um, 
some friends of mine that were involved with various companies, they became extremely dependent on Walmart for yeah. product sales in the hunting category, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. when Walmart decides that they're not going to carry your item anymore because the other guy offered them a similar product for five cents less per unit, mm -hmm. guess what? He, you can pretty much go out of business when that happens. Yeah, and I mean, when are we going to see this trickle effect stop? I mean, it, what in the news now, it's saying there's 125 more Dick Sporting Goods that aren't going to have a hunting section anymore. Just like that. 125 well, more stores. Th that's, that's a whole other story because I'm not sure Dick's really wants to stand up for what we believe in. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there, there, in that in its case, you know, I guarantee Facebook doesn't. They sure as heck don't want to stand up for what we believe in. So, you know, and, and we've become very dependent on a society. To me, social media has always needed to be just a means to the end. You use it as an opportunity to touch a customer and get them back to something you control, which is usually your website. Um, that said, you know, far too often people lean way too heavy on it. And when that, when that foundation crumbles, you're going to tumble with it. Well, and that's, again, that's where the rubber really meets the road for, for us as consumers because, you know, there was a time when every decent-sized town, and when I say decent-sized, I'm talking about small towns, you know, like every town of eight or 10,000 people would have like a bait and sporting goods store, and that's where you could yeah. go to get your hunting essentials. And most of those mom-and-pop yeah. stores are gone. And, you know, then there was a time when you had the bigger chains, like, you know, the Dicks, and, and some of those yeah. stores are going away or they're getting out of that category. And so, um, you know, you saw uh, basically Cabela's being purchased by Bass Pro. Who knows what the long-term future of, of both of their brands are? You know, will there be fewer stores overall? I, I don't know. But the point is, right, it's not as easy maybe for us to go out and get those things locally. And people are relying more on the convenience of online anyway. But if Amazon decides tomorrow, hey, we're not going to carry any hunting product. If eBay decides tomorrow, hey, we're not going to let you list uh, used hunting gear on our platform anymore. I mean, it's like it really would uh, pose a, a problem. Yeah, for the manufacturers, absolutely. But just for the regular hunter out there who needs to get his stuff. Yep. Yeah. Where do they go? That's, that's the big piece. And I mean, there, we see our, our business has definitely positioned ourselves more and more to not only assisting with people that have retail stores to try to drive more traffic in, but to complement that with e-commerce, because ultimately, you know, those retail stores know that foot traffic just in general is dying off. Just people don't go to retail stores as much as they used to. And so if they can offset that by getting the e-commerce in front of people for a convenience side, and then again, you talk about those local stores, now they're able to expand from just selling within a 40 or 50 mile radius that, yeah, somebody from across the country, if they have the better price on that product, could buy it from them and they just ship it to them. So, well, it, you know, you see that diversification starting a little bit more and more nowadays. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, actually, tell you a, a fun little story uh, that happened to me just the other week. So... Um, I was on my way home from work uh, a few weeks ago, and I stopped in at a local Yamaha Power Sports dealer because I wanted to look at some side-by-sides. And I went in there, and actually the unit that I went in there to look at had been sold, and so it wasn't there. So I was going to turn right around and walk back out and go home. 
And as I turn around and I'm walking out the door, and this is this is a, a power sports dealer. I look over to my left, and there's a small there's an area of the store with a bunch of uh, apparel displays, and there's Sitka gear. And I actually mm-hmm. turned around and I went back in. And I, I went over and I talked to the manager. I said, "Why do you guys have Sitka gear in here?" He's like, "Oh, he's like I'm one of only." I forget what he told me, 15 or 16 Sitka dealers in the country that has permission to sell online. And he's like, this is just a small part of my business here at retail. But he's like, he started telling me long story, exactly what you said. This is a local business that sells ATVs, side-by-sides, you know, motorcycles. And here he's also into hunting. He's selling Sitka gear and some backpacks and a couple other things out of the store, but really not so much through retail there, but through the, the, the e-commerce. And he's he's yep. like blowing this stuff out and killing it, you know? And I'm like, who would have ever thought that you'd go? I, I was like, dude, we don't have a lot of like little Sitka dealers around here. I mean, that is just weird. And most people wouldn't even have known what that is. You'd have to obviously be into the hunting community right. to even see that. But yeah, I mean, that's a prime example of how people can, can use e-commerce to have basically a whole nother wing of their business that doesn't really exist with the the main thrust of that brick and mortar location yeah absolutely and i mean the the complexity of it then for these brands is, is even more intense because you know obviously there's msrp and most of them have map pricing put in place which is that minimum advertised you know price that the dealer can go to but with the way that amazon and ebay and some of these other places are you know, next thing you know, you start seeing products popping up and they're cutting under map. And then these dealers are mad at these dealers. It, it really does add so many more layers of, of management and complexity for the, for the manufacturer, essentially, but especially their sales teams or sales reps, because they're ultimately who's basically hold, held accountable for what these pricing and who's selling what and where they're selling. And, you know, as the consumer, you know, no fault to us, right? We always try to find the best value with whatever we're buying. So, you know, somebody's selling Sitka at, at, you know, X dollars cheaper than what it, where we would normally see it on a Bass Pro or Cabela's or a Sitka website, then you're going to go, it's common knowledge. You're going to go for the cheaper price as long as it's a reliable source. So it, it definitely has thrown a lot of curveballs, but the opportunities that can still exist. And you see more manufacturers go into direct as well. I mean, selling through their own website and being very successful at it. Yeah, uh, one thing I really want to mention since we got onto this a little bit is please, uh, as a consumer, if you're listening to this show, one thing you have to keep in mind is that online really is the Wild West. Now, I'm not talking about if you're going directly to a a manufacturer or website to place Mm -hmm. an order or a dealer that you know, like a Cabela's or a Bass Pro, but... Right. But if you're if you're just looking on Amazon or eBay, um, there is so much counterfeit product out there, um, like especially broadheads and and consumable items Dude. like that. You you know if you're if you're seeing a pack of Rage broadheads on eBay for twenty dollars when you know they cost forty three dollars, guess what? I, I yeah. bet you I bet you ten bucks yeah. of that twenty that you're saving <laughs> that that you're not getting yeah. three rage heads in that pack. You're getting three knockoffs it, that are yeah. going to absolutely. If it looks too good to be true. It is too good to be true in that case. Yeah, and I actually yeah. want to give a shout out to uh, to the guys at G Five Outdoors. If if you guys want to see. Um, just how how much different these counterfeits are. G5 did some really interesting videos where they bought 
some counterfeits off of uh, Amazon and stuff. And then they, they did some testing, some test shooting and some torture test kind of stuff with the actual factory heads and then the counterfeits and to see like how brittle these things are, how much they just disintegrate and bend. And oh my goodness, you'd never want to shoot one of those things into your trophy animal. I mean, it's just scary. Just uh, just make sure you know know where you're getting this stuff. Yeah, and that's a huge piece. And, and Amazon is one of the worst for it. And it's not because of the platform, but, you know, you can go on there and whether you say G5 or, or Rage or Muddy or whoever, you can look on there and it'll say that's who it's being sold by. Well, that's not necessarily the actual manufacturer. It's just whatever that seller or distributor has labeled themselves for selling in there. So often, like, you know, you, you could see multiple Sitka or Sitka gear sellers in an Amazon or multiple uh, muddy outdoors or muddy sales. And, and often it's not the manufacturer that's doing that. Cause I, we have a great relationship with a lot of dealers and pro shops as well. And they'll say, Hey, you know, I know, you know, these guys seems like they're really getting aggressive on Amazon. And I'll say, we don't sell on Amazon at all. That's, that's a dealer or distributor who has gone on Amazon and listed the product as that brand. And so, you know, when you get into that mindset, like you said, it is truly the wild west and it is very, very difficult for manufacturers to, to control that, especially when they have a large distribution chain. It's just the consumer needs to be able to do their research to know what they're getting and what they're getting. And again, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, I like buying from the manufacturer directly or a legitimate retailer just because I know I'm getting a good product. And if I have to return it because there's some issue, I'm not going to have a problem. Yeah, so let's uh, let's sort of wrap up the show with this. Let's take a look towards the future. Um, you know, it's no secret, Jeremy, that the outdoor space in general, and uh, you know, specifically hunting, uh, archery, uh, bow hunting. Um, not recreational archery so much, but bow hunting. It's it's been you know a challenging time for the market because. We've seen a decline in hunting participation overall nationwide, and and the, the decline in bow hunting has been a little bit steeper even than the the overall hunting decline. Um, you know, there's obviously challenges like we've discussed on the show today for uh, manufacturers to get their products out to retail, uh, to online to get those messages to consumers. I mean, what's your outlook uh, as you look to the future of our industry? You know. Uh, it hasn't necessarily been the greatest two, three, four years for the, the bow hunting marketplace. And, and how are we going to navigate this uh, as we look ahead? Yeah, my, my initial thoughts are is that you're going to see a lot more content and, and direct marketing from the brand. And, and that doesn't mean that they're going to lay off of, you know, influencers and television and things like that. But I think you're going to see a lot more of these manufacturers really take control of what their brand and how it's perceived and how that's pushed out to, uh, to a direct to consumer. You already see that now. And in, in terms of, uh, you know, people are shying a little bit more away from TV commercials and maybe investing more in print and social and their own brand website and content. Uh, so I think you'll see that. I think you'll see an increase in e-commerce even more so than we see now because, you know, even a lot of the big box stores are having less and less risk, meaning they're holding less and less inventory from a manufacturer. And then that puts more weight on the manufacturer and risk of holding that inventory and either drop shipping it or taking smaller PO chunks uh, sent to the retailer to sell. 
Where I think would be the interesting piece, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Christian, is that, you know, think about the bow side of things, right? Traditionally, Matthews being a great example, Prime being a great example, uh, you, you don't buy them online, right? You've got to go to a pro shop to a dealer and get that. Do we see those manufacturers open up and say, hey, listen, if we've done our job enough and somebody wants to buy a bow directly from us online, we're going to let them do that. I, I don't know. It would be a big change of the way that business has been done in the bow world. But but at some point, you, there are certain brands out there that are selling to a PSE, you can do that. Uh, Bear, you can do that. Do we see some of these other bows, the higher-end ones, start to open up and say, yeah, if you want to buy a Triax that's you know, 29-inch and 70 pounds, here it is. Buy it straight from me. Well, I tell you, one who has done something that – seems like a good middle ground to me and uh, I don't know how well you know it, it's worked uh, because I don't have any insights from the company internally but Elite Archery uh, about two years ago started offering the ability to go on the website and you know pick out the bow that you want customize it right with whatever options string colors etc that might be available but rather than shipping that bow then directly to you they're going to ship it to your nearest dealer and so you're still going to go in and pick that bow up from the pro shop and get the you know the service the setup uh, things like that because I really think when it comes to the high-end bows um, you know let me back up a second and just say this uh, talk to any pro shop good local pro shop that's within 50 miles of a big box store that sells bow hunting equipment and they'll all tell you the same thing they love that big box store because it generates a lot of service work for them because absolutely the bow bow technicians at those big box stores tend to turn over pretty frequently and they're if you're the greatest bow tech in your county you're not going to go work at the big box store versus the local pro shop. You know, chances are. Exactly. Or, um, so yep. it's hard to imagine in the bull market because there's so much benefit that comes from having that equipment set up the right way the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, that I don't yep. know if the manufacturers, you talk about the fact that the manufacturers want to control the marketing message. Well, I would think that they also want to control the quality of the experience that the consumer ultimately has with the product. And 100%. I think I think that the companies like Matthews and Hoyt and Bowtech and, and Bayer and, you know, you name any of the major bow manufacturers, I think they're smart enough to know that if they would conduct, you know, surveys versus somebody who went into a a big box store and bought one of their bows off the shelf and went home uh, versus somebody who walked into the local pro shop and bought one of their bows and spent an hour there getting the bow set up, getting a little bit of coaching from the from the yep. owner of the shop and making sure they're completely dialed in before they go home. Uh, that second guy's got a much higher satisfaction level with that product than the first guy does. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, and I kind of like that. You know, you mentioned the elite thing and that's a smart thing. It's very much like a, you know, and it's more policy related, but think about firearms, you know, you buy a gun online, it's got to go to an FFL, you pick it up from that FFL. So very much like that, if you, if you had that set up and you could say, yeah, you know, I've got a bow shop right up the road. So one that always sits on my bow, I buy it directly from a Matthews Elite, Bowtech, Prime, whoever, Hoyt, it ships directly to that dealer. 
I walk in and I'm like, here's the accessories I want on it. And it's the same process. Uh, you know, I, and it, it puts a little bit less risk on the pro shop in terms of having to buy that inventory. It'll just be neat to see because, you know, a lot of those bow shops or a lot of those manufacturers rely on those purchase orders directly to a bow shop, you know, right out of the gate. You know, are they willing to compromise a little bit and say, hey, listen, you take some so you have it in stock. But if somebody buys from us, we'll ship this and still pay a, a margin on that, basically that drop ship. Um, yeah, well, it's a I way. I think it's one it, of those things we have to evolve with. It's a way to protect their dealer base. And for a product like that, you know, you don't need you don't need a dealer base if you're, you know, let's just, I, I don't know why this is in my head, but, you know, if you just want a case of Gatorade, you don't need a local yeah. retailer. If you wanted to go on Amazon and order a case of Gatorade, that's fine because mm-hmm. it comes to your door. And then when you're thirsty, you just drink one, and that's the end of it. Right. But but you right. need a you need a local dealer base for archery equipment for you know anything anything that has an engine, right? I mean, could you imagine if Ford mm-hmm. tried to go to a consumer direct? Hey, if you want a new F one fifty, just get on the website. Tell us what color you know. Do you want upholstery or leather? You want four wheel drive? Do you want the crew cab or yeah. the long bed? And we'll send it right to your house. Well, that's great until something breaks. You know what I mean? Exactly. You're gonna exactly. you're gonna yeah. need that local dealer. So uh, technology yeah. hasn't completely eliminated the human touch yet, which is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and then I mean, I think that that starts with that. I know I go to my bow shop. I get some paper tuning. You know, I feel good about it. I have a good talk with my bow tech. Usually, we have a good relationship. When I walk out of there, I feel taken care of. I feel set up. And and to be honest, that's a reflection of the brand that I just bought as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think you will start to see those hybrid models a little bit. I mean, Elite obviously has something going there. I I assume, again, I don't know the numbers behind that, but, you know, something in that same sense would make sense to where you're not necessarily taking anything away from your dealers. In fact, if anything, you're using that brand to drive people to that dealer more than you almost normally would. I'm not saying they don't do a good job with that, but if you think about some of these brands and how many dealers they have, it's hard to drive traffic and send love quote unquote to to those different dealers in an area you know you have to at some point they have to rely on themselves to market but maybe you could use that brand as a bigger overarching umbrella to to drive people and say hey this person's right uh down the road from you they're a really good uh technician we're going to send your bow there and they'll take care of you yep for sure well listen man i uh i always try to keep these shows to not much longer than an hour and we have hit that magical uh hour and one minute hour and one minute at this point so so we ought to wrap up but i'll tell you what i mean as i said at the beginning it's definitely a different kind of episode i don't normally get on the phone with a marketing guy and and record a (laughs) podcast but you know there's a lot going on out there in the marketplace and so to talk to somebody like you who's you know yeah you're a marketer you work with manufacturers but you're a bow hunter too at the end of the day and and uh, you're in the same boat you know because you have to make these decisions uh of what to buy and so i think it i think it's been insightful and instructive and hopefully the listeners have gotten you know a better sense of uh, maybe how to make sense of the information that they find out there and 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 how they ought to you know evaluate it and 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 find what's useful and maybe sift through uh, all the noise and find those golden uh, nuggets of wisdom that they can make use of in their own buying decisions there you go well i appreciate it christian and like i said you, you know i'm a bow hunter at heart i am the consumer at the end of the day and and you know so oh, 
a lot of the things that we deal with on a daily basis at Stone Road ultimately come from us being consumers and, and strategically we think of if we were in the place of someone looking to buy something, you know, how would we want to see it or what would make the greatest impression on it? And so hopefully the listeners can kind of see what's going out there in the marketplace and make sense of it. I mean, that's, you know, we don't want them to look at things as being disjointed and, and unconnected. We want them to see a pattern forming of why a brand is really trying to touch the consumer in a certain way uh, to drive them to make the best decision for them. All right, man. Well, really appreciate your time. Uh, wish you guys continued success at uh, Stone Road Media, and hopefully, um, I'll see you out at the Total Archery Challenge at Seven Springs again this year. I'm looking forward to that. There you go, man. A little bit warmer weather and, and a little bit of boat. You can't beat that. No, sir. All right. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.